Last Monday was Juneteenth, National Independence Day. Not at all a new holiday, but still quite new on a federal level. I myself had never heard of it until a few years ago. So I confess that while I had inserted a Juneteenth prayer into the prayers of the people for last Sunday, the fact that the next day was a paid holiday caught me off guard. I haven't yet built it into my internal calendar. Most white folks, myself included, are still learning about Juneteenth. Sometimes it is described as the day that the enslaved people of Texas finally found out they were free. Well, the fact of the matter is that they knew perfectly well that they were supposed to be free, but those who believed themselves to be slave owners refused to acknowledge the change until Major General Gordon Granger arrived in Galveston with the following proclamation. The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves, and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. The freedmen are advised to remain quietly at their present homes and work for wages. They are informed that they will not be allowed to collect at military posts and that they will not be supported in idleness, either there or elsewhere. By this time, it had been two and a half months since the Confederacy had surrendered and two and a half years since President Lincoln had signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Another six months would pass after Juneteenth before slavery finally ended in Kentucky and Delaware. In short, oppressors don't tend to stop oppressing simply because someone tells them it's not okay anymore. Even in the proclamation delivered by the war's victors, we can see the mistrust and condescension that would continue to feed America's racist legacy. It was like this. Okay, black folks, don't make a fuss about this. Just get on with your lives and don't expect anyone to give you any handouts. I think we can draw a direct line from this proclamation to the 1980s myth of the welfare queen. And I notice there are no extra warnings given to the white people who no doubt resented this infringement on their supposed economic freedom and on their livelihood. Juneteenth is a secular holiday, but we Christians can see it as a celebration of God's liberating power. Human beings will always continue to develop creative new forms of cruelty. But in the long run, so much of the time, the cruelty of humans leads to the faithful provision of God. It has always been so. Human cruelty arises from fear. Fear of not getting what we want or need. Fear of not having enough. God promises a son to Abraham and Sarah, but then years go by and nothing changes. Finally, the first couple of our faith give up on God. Sarah suggests that Abraham get their slave girl Hagar pregnant. Abraham agrees, 
And Hagar gives birth to a son named Ishmael. When God isn't working fast enough for us, we tend to step in and try to help God along. And when we do this, we tend to make everything worse. And our fellow humans suffer as a result. God's promised child does eventually come along. Isaac is born to Sarah. And Sarah wonders, now that we have the son God promised us, who needs this other kid anymore? Won't he clamor for a chunk of the inheritance? It's time to clean the rubbish out of the house. Oh, the cruelty that humans devise. God doesn't prevent or stop Sarah's cruelty, but God redeems it, rescuing Hagar and Ishmael so they can begin their own great nation. And indeed, Muslim tradition holds that the prophet Muhammad was descended from Ishmael. The cruelty of humans drives a sword through a family and breaks it, but the broken family leads to the faithful provision of God. We all know our share of broken families, don't we? I'm sure all our families bear unhealed wounds that cry out for redemption. And we all know what it's like to be a victim of cruelty. But that's not the way this sermon is going to go. Reverend Erna Kim Hackett is the founder of Liberated Together, an organization of women and non-binary people of color who follow Jesus by working for social justice. Here's a quote from Reverend Hackett. White Christianity suffers from a bad case of Disney princess theology. As each individual reads scripture, they see themselves as the princess in every story. They are Esther, never Xerxes or Haman. They are Peter, but never Judas. They are the woman anointing Jesus, never the Pharisees. They are the Jews escaping slavery, never Egypt. For the citizens of the most powerful country in the world, who enslaved both native and black people, to see itself as Israel and not Egypt when studying scripture, is a perfect example of Disney princess theology. And it means that as people in power, they have no lens for locating themselves rightly in scripture or society. And it has made them blind and utterly ill-equipped to engage issues of power and injustice. It is some very weak Bible work. Whew. Strong words. And I'm convinced that these words are true. On Thursday night, we finished Sacred Ground, a curriculum of the Episcopal Church intended to help white folks come to terms with the weeds of racism that have put down such deep roots in America. This was my second time going through this class, and I'm ever grateful to Mary Aronin for leading our curriculum planning and facilitation, and to Billy Stockton for her own role on the leadership team. This year's group included Jane and Ken Grabinski, Jillian Hutton, Elisa and Rick Kincaid, Terry Cruiser, and Karen White. Over the course of 11 sessions, we learned about the history of American racism 
and all the factors that made it possible in the first place. The biggest thing I've learned from sacred ground is this. While the color of my skin gives me all sorts of hidden benefits in society, it does not in and of itself have any positive cultural value. White is not a real ethnic group with a common history. Rather, whiteness was invented specifically to make other people not white, so they could be treated with less regard. Whiteness is a construct of cruelty. Blackness, on the other hand, is born of pain and struggle. Like whiteness, blackness is not at all culturally monolithic, but black people of all kinds have been victimized by white people. And that common struggle has led to all sorts of advances in art, literature, music, dance, and religion. Whiteness can make no such positive claim. Now, none of this means that it's shameful for me to have the color skin I have. I was born this way, and I believe that God loves me eternally. But history has determined that if I want to develop loving relationships with people whose skin color has made them victims, effects that continue to this day, especially in the realms of economics and law enforcement, then I have a lot of intentional learning to do. To whatever degree I allow my ignorance to continue, my whiteness will have unintended side effects. Both times that we have offered sacred ground, I have watched white folks gain significant understanding and share many an aha moment. It's not about stoking guilt, but building awareness so that we can be empowered to change things going forward. In fact, we are all capable of the kind of cruelty that drives people apart and away. And this happens when we give in to our fears, instead of accepting that we are all planted in hopeful soil. When our fears are paired with power, earned or inherited, the effects can be truly devastating. But when we gather the courage to learn and to speak out against such effects, well, then we get to the stuff Jesus is talking about today. Go figure that this week, both our Genesis reading and our Gospel reading talk about slavery. In Jesus' case, though, he's using it as a metaphor. He's just saying to his followers, if they don't like me, they really won't like you. Jesus shows up among us to speak truth, and this forces a crisis. Jesus doesn't want to divide families. But he's saying that this is what happens when truth is shouted from the rooftops. The church, built in Jesus' name, can and must upset those who wield power unjustly. Oppressors don't tend to stop oppressing simply because someone tells them it's not okay anymore, not even when oppression is an unintentional side effect of our unexamined fears. See, oppression happens in systems. Very few individuals gain enough power to oppress people single-handedly. They depend on whole systems to do the work for them. Systems we are all a part of, whether we like it or not. 
Though the first Juneteenth took place more than a century and a half ago, American slavery is not gone. The 13th Amendment allows it to continue among our imprisoned population, which, by the way, is ridiculously large and heavily skewed toward people of color. This isn't because people of color commit more crimes. Study after study has demonstrated that. The very existence of for-profit prisons and the school-to-prison pipeline, read all about that one, reveal the creative ways that racism mutates to perpetuate itself. But it just so happens that the origins of Juneteenth speak clearly to our Christian theology of evil. Though Christ defeated the forces of death, through his own death and resurrection, rogue enemy troops continue to fight. We live in a time between the end of the war and the establishment of peace, between the proclamation of our freedom and the true celebration that will come when all of God's purposes are assured. In the meantime, it's up to us to work for justice. And this includes doing our own inner work and communal work, learning the ways that many Christians have prevented justice from being done and continue to do so without even knowing it. And this shows up not only in systems of racism, but systems of economics, systems of homelessness, and many more. To paraphrase Paul, don't keep sinning just because human cruelty makes way for God's faithful provision. Make yourself worthy of saving, not to avoid hell, but to embrace heaven. Jesus has assured you that you are too valuable to throw away. And in baptism, your old self was crucified because it was never really you. Now that your garden has been weeded, Take up your own share of the weeding in preparation for God's kingdom. Amen.